0: I think we'll see this morning how deeply the Anus Dei, the Lamb of God, goes in Scripture, but also in the proclamation of the Gospel in particular. Let's pray. And Father, we ask that as we have worshipped you today, we will listen now very carefully to your word, for your word is truth. Sanctify us your word. Amen. I don't know if they still do this, but the American Banking Association had a very interesting way of training tellers to recognize counterfeits. It was not to uh, study counterfeits or to point out the characteristic of what is false, so much as it was simply to handle what was true. And so the training consisted mainly of just handling legitimate money, for hours at a time and looking at it and becoming so familiar with it that when something false came along, they'd be able to recognize it. And this is the biblical approach to uh, spiritual counterfeits. It's simply to know what the truth is and to know it by meditating on it, by practicing it, by praying it, by reminding each other of it, so much so that we simply cannot be distracted or fooled by something that's not true. And the story we're going to listen to this morning, and I'm going to uh, preach on, is, well, it's that kind of thing for faith. It boils faith down to its essence. It takes it right down to its core, what it is in its truest outlines, and it makes it possible for us to understand what isn't faith, as well as to understand what is faith. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 18. Later on, the Lord tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to the Lord on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. So Abraham got up early the next morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two servants with him along with his son Isaac. And they set out for the place that God had told him to go. He chopped some wood for a burnt offering. And on the third day of the journey, he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, he said to the young men. The boy and I will travel a little farther where we will worship God and then come right back. And so Abraham put the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the fire. And the two of them went on together. Isaac said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the wood and the fire, said the boy. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? God will provide the lamb, my son. Abraham replied. So both of them continued on together. When they arrived at the place where God had said, Abraham built an altar and placed the wood... On the altar, then he tied Isaac up and laid him on the altar over the wood. And Abraham took the knife and lifted it up to kill his son as a sacrifice. The Lord. At that moment, the angel of the Lord shouted to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes! He answered, I'm listening. Lay the knife down, the angel said. Do not hurt the boy in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld your beloved son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a bush. So Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham again from heaven, Listen to what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed Me and have not withheld even your beloved Son, I will richly bless you. I will multiply your descendants into countless millions, like the stars in the sky or the the sand on the seashore. They, They will conquer their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants all because you have obeyed me. The word of the Lord. Well, the first thing we see here is the purity of faith. Its purity is simply Abraham's Willingness to uh, to be tested. There's a test going on here, uh, not a test in the sense of finding out how much Abraham knows about God, although that's part of it, but a test in the sense of refining a precious metal. And what God's looking for, what God's well really bringing out in Abraham is the essence of faith, and it's this: taking God at His word entirely and entrusting yourself to it totally. And notice that it's faith and obedience that are being tested. They're not two different things, faith and obedience. They're different sides of the same coin. We are saved by faith, not by works, but faith works. God promised to give... A child to Abraham and Sarah. He promised to make them a great nation. And now he does something extraordinary. He says, I have promised to do this for you. Now I want you to take the one thing, the one sign, the one evidence you have of my promise, and I want you to kill it. Because faith is trusting what God says. Not the way you perceive He's going to keep his word. Very important. The temptation is always to trust in Isaac instead of the God who gives Isaac. And this is the great betrayal of faith, to trust in the gift instead of the giver. Or think of it this way. Becoming a Christian is the hardest And the simplest thing you can ever do. It's so simple to be a Christian. It it just means one thing. It means simply to trust God completely with your life, to say amen, to rest on Him completely. That's so simple. A child can get it. But it's so hard because we don't want to be children. We want to take matters into our own hands. God put it a different way to Jeremiah. He said, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, for my people have committed two sins. Now notice what they are. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, which can't hold water. I get the picture. They live in an arid climate. It only rains once in a while. And if you want to get enough water, well, you you dig a hole for it. You you build a cistern. You hope you catch something. But then if you build a a broken cistern, well, what little you catch, you're going to lose. Now, you can do that, or God says, you can come to me the spring of living water. And God says, go figure. My people instead of coming to the spring, want to dig the cistern. It's not complicated, this matter of faith. But we make it so. Martin Luther said, the only saving faith is that which casts itself on God for life or death. That's the purity of faith. When it's boiled down, when it's whittled down to its essence, it is simply trusting God. Period. Completely, not how we think he's going to be faithful, but that he will be faithful, and that's also what a pure faith does to us when we're whittled down. Now I have this theory, and uh, I haven't tested it scientifically, and I and I know there have to be lots of exceptions to this, but but I think generally speaking. Uh, you know, the, the dementia of old age aside and, and Alzheimer's and some of the things which which could affect any of us. But I, I think, generally put, as we get older, as life starts to whittle us down, well, what's left is what we really had trusted in all along. Now, I'm thinking of two people that I had a lot of contact with. Uh, my wife's grandmother, Edna, Edna Salto. When I married Loretta, Edna was, was really old and really childish. I mean, she just was just old and, and her brain was just kind of kinda going on her. Uh, you know, she was she she you know her memory was gone. She you you, you could write her a letter, and she was so great because she gets this little letter, she'd read it, and say, Oh, a letter from Susie. And she'd lay it in her lap and look around, talk a while, and look in her lap and say, Oh, look at this. A letter from Susie. <laughs> I mean, you know, you wouldn't want to drive a car or you know, keep books in a business. She couldn't remember your name. But whenever you asked Edna to pray, her face would look up to heaven, a smile would come across her face, and she talked to the living God with authority. Passion and delight and she's whittled down but but with her the one thing that was left in her was what she had trusted in and when everything else was going it was still there in and in a, just this beautiful simple pure childlike faith and there was my uncle Roy Uncle Roy got his limited and as senile as Edna uh, Roy had spent his life making money. He had trusted in money. He had given. He had cheated family members. You know, I mean, he he'd ripped us off. And uh, and the grace that my parents extended to this man is extraordinary to me. But I remember as a boy watching Uncle Roy uh, sitting in our living room. And uh, you know, his, he always kind of pull his pants up. I wouldn't do it and shocked with my white legs. But he he'd have him up there to his knees and his little bony white legs, and he would talk. Endlessly about money. The money he had made. The money he had invested. The money he had saved. He was about to die. His brain was was shriveled. But he still thought about the money. The purity of faith is so simple. Where's your trust? Where's your trust? Well... That's the first thing we see in this story about Abraham. He's been given his son, and now, now the one who gave the son says, give him back. Well, the purity of faith explains also the power of faith. When God has taken at his word, period, faith takes on a tenacity and a, and a strength that is supernatural. In other words, take away all the external supports. And a pure faith will be powerful. When all that we can see that sort of reminds us that it's true is taken away, it will still stand. You can shake all that can be shaken. And what's left after the shaking won't be shaken anymore. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is passing away. What is unseen is eternal. So we don't lose heart. That's the power of faith that is pure. It has tenacity. And so Abraham gets up early the next morning. He saddles up his donkey. And did you notice a slow motion that... that that comes into this story as as they kind of move across this three-day journey and when they get to the place near where they're supposed to go, the, the, the author then just slows down the motion. He puts the wood on his son's back and they walk up the mountain and the son wants to know, Dad, where's the lamb? And the dad says, God will provide. Now, was Abraham just lying? Was he making up something to to trick his son into going all the way? No. The same God who had given him his son faithfully could do whatever needed to happen next. Now, what kind of God is this? I mean, is he a sadist? Who who gives us something so wonderful and, and then and then sort of dangles over us the possibility of having to let go of it. To, to even kill it. I mean, what is, is that what God is? Does he does he get pleasure and, and making us care so much? And then then just saying, But you know, you might have to give it back. Or Is this a God whose love is so complete, whose power is so infinite, whose wisdom is so profound, and who therefore knows that by asking us to let go of what we so dearly love, we'll be given something even greater? Think of it this way. Maybe this won't help you, but it helps me. I mean, until I met Loretta Mock, I, I'd had crushes, I'd been in love, but I really fell for this one. We've spent 30 years together. I can't imagine what life would be without her. And our kids, oh my heavens, what fun, What what joy, what love. You know, I'm, I'm ferocious in my love for my family. I, would I die for them? Yeah, go ahead. Nail me. And I'd, I'd probably, just out of reflex, kill you if you tried to hurt them. I mean, this just so deep. But let me tell you something. This is so important. I will lose every one of them. And they'll lose me. I will die, or they will die first, either way. And we will let go. And I think what God is doing to Abraham here, what he would do with all of us, is to say, learn to die. Learn to die well. You know, earlier Christians used to pray that prayer daily. Lord, help me to die well. Meaning, help me to live well fully with the recognition that all I have came from God and all I have will go back to God. Hold it lightly. Hold it gratefully. I think that's the point of the story. And the test of our faith is always the question, what could I lose that would make me lose my trust in God? It's a severe question. It can't really be answered in advance, but we can pray that our faith will grow and that God will give us what we need when we need it. Well, that's the power of faith that's pure. And it's built on a foundation of convictions about God, that God is Perfect love. God is perfect power. God is perfect wisdom. And you can't take any of those out. It's like a three-legged stool. His power, His wisdom, His love. Take one out and the stool topples. And faith is convinced of all three. He wants to do what is best because He is love. He is able to do what is best because He is power. And He knows what is best because He's wise. And that was the foundation of Abraham's strong, strong faith. Well, how do you get a faith like that? I think the key to faith is a close relationship with God over the long haul. It comes only when you get to know Him over months and years. And you find Him over and over again to be faithful. Uh, you know, maturity. A mature faith doesn't come necessarily with age. But it almost never comes without it. You just have to live for a while and find Him to be trustworthy. When we are living in Michigan, uh, I think this illustrates it, uh, we found a, a beautiful falcon one day, uh, wounded on the road. And, uh, we, didn't, we weren't sure what was wrong. It couldn't fly, and, uh, and we very gingerly picked it up. Falcons uh, have incredible beaks and incredible claws, and, uh, and it was not happy when we picked it up. And we took it to a, to a nature center near our town uh, where they dealt with wild animals who had been stricken in some way. And, uh, and this, uh, this falcon, the whole time, we we're, were trying to help it, but it, it did not want anything to do with us. And, and, we, and when we handed it to the, to the, the vet, I mean, he had big leather gloves on, and he held that falcon very carefully because that falcon struggled and fought. It didn't like us. It hated us. It was afraid of us. There was absolutely no trust. Now, the son of mine, who uh, my oldest, who actually helped us take the falcon in, uh, he's now 25, and I thought of him when he was four. He had a virus, and... Uh, now we need to take a blood test. And I knew it was going to be hard for him, and the doctor was going to make me hold him down. We'll talk about Isaac. And I, I couldn't explain to him. I couldn't say, you know, Danny, you've got a thing called a virus, and it's, it's making you really sick, and and we have to find out what kind of virus it is. And so we're going to have to stick a needle in your finger and, and draw blood out of you. We're going to, It's going to hurt, but it's for your good. I mean, he could not get his little mind around that. And can you imagine what it was like for him when when we went into the doctor's office and Daddy held him down? And this stranger walked in with this needle and stuck it in his little finger. I mean, he screamed and he squirmed and he looked at me with eyes that said, what are you doing to me? But here's the difference between Danny and the bird. He held on to me the whole time. And the key to faith is a confidence in the God we belong to that will cling to Him when we don't understand Him. Like my son, we should be more like children than birds. That's the key to faith. And God could not have been more pleased with Abraham. And this is the remarkable thing about the story. He said, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your beloved son, I will bless you richly. And notice the connection here. You were willing to give up the son. And then he says, I will now multiply your descendants by countless millions. Millions. like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the seashore, and I, they, they will defeat their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them all because you have obeyed me. So it went from the loss of a child to the whole, a whole world of children and men and women being blessed because he was willing to let go for the sake of God who gave him the child in the first place. That really pleases God. It pleases God so much. Did you know there is good evidence to believe that very near this particular mountain is another mountain we know as Golgotha. Now, whether or not they're actually physically next to each other, they are spiritually and theologically next to each other. And did you notice the language of the angel? You have not withheld even your beloved son from me. Listen now to the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus. In the face of all this, what's left to be said? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now this, He who did not withhold even his own son. Can we not trust him with him to give us everything else that we need? God would give to Abraham all he promised because Abraham had believed all God had promised. But he had no idea what that promise would mean when God gave up his son, the perfect lamb for sacrifice. Well, I want to take you back in closing to another encounter with my oldest son, about the same age as the uh, blood test incident. I was up at Forest Home Christian Conference Center to speak, and uh, there's a a prayer chapel there that when I worked at Forest Home as a college student, I was seven summers, college and seminary there's a chapel there to pray. And I, I went to that chapel just about every day of every summer I worked at Forest Home. And I went up there and I prayed about all the things that I, I was worried about, all the things that mattered to me. I, I prayed to God about who I'd marry and I prayed about my career and I, I took all my fears there and I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and you know, honestly, most of my prayers as a student were anxious prayers, they were fearful prayers, but they were prayers and I took them to the Lord. I, I clung to the Lord. So here I am years later and my little boy bursts into our cabin before I'm about to speak one evening. He says, Dad, there's this, there's this little cabin where you pray. Did you know that? I said, no. He says, can I show it to you? He said, yeah. So he led me down the path that I had walked hundreds of times to this chapel. You know, there, there are some times when things are really good and you don't know it. This wasn't one of those. I knew how good this was. Here was my future I'd worried about, leading me to the place I'd worried about it. But I prayed. I trusted as best I knew how. And we went into the prayer chaplain, and there are six windows on each side of the chapel, one for each of the apostles. And Danny asked me about each one of those. Talked about them, but then at the back or the front, there's a rose-shaped window a big, big circular window of Jesus in Gethsemane, prostrate over the rock, praying on the eve of his crucifixion. And Danny said, "Dad, is that Jesus?" I said, "Yeah. Is he praying?" Yeah? What's he praying about? How do you answer that question to a four year old? I thought, I said, well, Danny, he's telling God he'll do anything God wants him to. And Danny said, Is that all? I said, Yeah. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's the purity of faith. That's the power of faith. That's the foundation of faith. That's the key to faith and to blessing is to say to God, God, Whatever, whatever. And whatever God takes away, he gives back a thousandfold. Let's pray. Well Lord, some of us here are thinking about oh my, What might I have to say I'll let go of? Lord, I pray you'll comfort us, remind us of your goodness, make us not like a wounded bird, but like a confused child. Lord, there are others of us here who just, well, frankly, we're not even beginning to think about that kind of thing. Lord, I pray you'll stir us up. Don't let us be blindsided by the difficulty of life. Teach us to number our days rightly that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Lord, I pray that for many of us, if not all of us, Lord, that you would give us such a vision of your promise, Lord, such A passion for the greatness of your kingdom and your glory in this world, that Lord, we would say, Here I am, like Abraham said, Send me. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll be whatever you call me to be. Not for the sake of a sacrifice, but for the sake of the blessing. God, you are worthy. To receive glory and honor and power and strength and wisdom. You are worthy to receive all our trust. Strengthen our faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ.